At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we turn the page to a new year, many are wondering what will come next and how to navigate it when it does. We invite you to tune into our series, What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today, as we explore the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25. Together, we'll learn to look toward the future because what we believe about tomorrow defines the way we'll spend today. Let's discover God's answer to the question on everyone's mind. What now? Amen. And the greatest moment of the week, for, say all the parents, is when the pastor says, What's that, kids? You can be dismissed. Kids, so glad you could worship with us this morning. You guys are so good. I love the energy you bring and making sure there's like no silence ever. So thank you for that. Um, but I know you're going to have a blast in Woodside Kids. Again, as Bill said at the beginning, next week's going to be really special about this time in the service. Uh, this is going to be a pretty unforgettable uh, time next Sunday. So I hope that you can join us uh, on Palm Sunday. Do you appreciate our kids' ministry servants? Would you give them a hand? Thank you, y'all. You guys are great. Cheryl, Margie, all the staff that's there serving with them. So grateful for how you've committed yourself to make disciples of the next generation. You understand, right, folks, that God has given every generation the responsibility of teaching the next generation all about him. Every generation has that. Raise your hand if you're in some generation. Raise your hand. Okay, that's most of you. That means you have a responsibility. Uh, so thank you. So um, I, I know God can't use all of us in, in Woodside Kids, um, at least in an official like small group role, leader role or such things, but he can use a lot of us. And he can, he can use all of us to be praying for the next generation, praying for the parents. Man, is it not true that it's really difficult culture to raise kids in today? I mean, the battles that they're facing and the, the worldviews that's being pressed in upon them, uh, many, many of those elements are just contrary to what God has to say about how to live a fulfilling and a satisfied life. So it's tough times, and parents need the wisdom of God. So let's be praying for them, praying for all of us as we have that awesome journey of commending Jesus to the next generation. Well, I'm Dan Stewart, the campus pastor here, and it's great to welcome all of you with us. Uh, it's fun to see every Sunday. There's, there's folks we haven't seen in a while. They're joining us again, which is cool, and folks are bringing friends. I hope you know, look, look, look that way. There's like a lot of room for more chairs right now. All right, so, so make sure you're, you're inviting people because I believe the message of Jesus is good, good. Oh, it's good, good. I mean, you do too. You sang about it anyway. Uh, so it's, it's good to share uh, with other people. So bringing them with us at a time like this is a really good thing to do. Matthew chapter 25. If you've got your Bibles with you, you can turn there. We'll have it on the screen. We also have Bibles in the back on the table. When you come in, you can certainly feel free to take one. Uh, if you don't have a Bible of your own, that's fine. Take it home with you. Um, read it. Um, bring it with you the next Sunday and just let that be our gift to you. Uh, we just want you to have God's word in your hands. Matthew chapter 25 is 
if, if you have a red letter edition of the Bible where it puts the words of Jesus in red, you'll see that it's all red. Because this is, the, this is a, a, a time when Jesus is giving a sermon or what we could call a discourse. Um, it happened there in just outside of Jerusalem in the Mount of Olives. Many people call this section of the Bible the Olivet Discourse. It's when Jesus was in the Mount of Olives discoursing or communicating or teaching uh, these very important things. And the context of it was when they were in the temple and his disciples are walking with Jesus out of the temple and they say to Jesus, wasn't that incredible? What a building! Just how ornate it is and how it was engineered and constructed. What a joy to have such an incredible place to worship God. And Jesus says, eh, it's going to be destroyed. And I'm sure that in their minds was, that's not what we thought he would say. Because Jesus had earlier called it his house, his father's house. So now why would he say, in their response to their amazement at this building, why would Jesus say, eh, it's actually going to fall down, it's going to crumble, there's not going to be one stone left standing on another. And so Jesus answered their, their inquisitiveness by giving them a glimpse into what would happen. He began to describe a season that would begin, a season of great tribulation, a great trouble describing, first of all, as an initial element, describing how Jerusalem would be sacked by the Roman Empire, how it would be utterly destroyed. In fact, in about 30, 40 years after he made these words, the nation of Israel ended. As a nation, it ended for the next 1,900 years. And only in some of your lifetimes, is there a nation of Israel again? Back in 1945 is when, since then, since Jesus said those words a few years later, in that time, Israel was destroyed. There was no nation of Israel. And Jesus said that this season, it would usher in this time of, of great distress. There would be nations raging against rations, they, nations. There would be earthquakes and famines, and, um, and the earth would be troubled. And, and it would get so bad Jesus said that except for the, the gracious hand of God, humanity would destroy themselves. The only thing that has kept humanity from utterly destroying themselves, like pushing the red button, right, or, or other such things that will destroy a world, is, is God's grace. It's God's grace will keep that from happening. And specifically, Jesus said, when it gets really, really bad, the Son of Man is going to return. He's speaking of himself. He says, the Son of Man, I'm going to come back. And it will happen suddenly and in a time that nobody expects. He describes it in languages like, um, it will be like lightning lights up the sky. Right? You've, you, we're going to start seeing some of those lightning lighting up the sky nights where it flashes here and you don't hear it for like five seconds, but you saw the flash and then suddenly... Right? So that's, that's often what lighting does. It kind of lights up. That's how Jesus' coming will be. In other words, you can't, it won't be hidden. Everybody that believes in Jesus will realize that he has come. 
But then he gives words of warning and says, and, and when that happens, you need to make sure you're ready. And then he gives some stories to try to help our hearts understand this. He said it's kind of like these two women go to work, and while they're working, suddenly one's gone and the other one's left. Or two guys, are, they're walking up this, up, up this hill, up this mountain, they're, they're on a journey, and suddenly one looks and the guy he's journeying with is, is suddenly gone. He says it's kind of like when, you, when you're sleeping and you, like your guard is down and all your, you're not even thinking about anything, of course, because you're sleeping and that's when the thief comes in and, and robs your house. That's kind of what this will be. You'll be occupied with maybe some other things and that's when Jesus will come, like a thief in the night. And he says, so you got to be ready. We looked at a, another story of his. Uh, last week when he says it's kind of like when the the wedding party the bridegroom comes and and the wedding party is kind of waiting for him and kind of gets tired and and some of the wedding party is ready and some aren't and those that aren't ready can't enjoy the festivities of the wedding teaching us that true discipleship if you're really following jesus you'll go the distance even when he takes long in his real coming you'll stay faithful so he gives these stories. They're called parables. Can you say that word with me? Parable. Right? Somebody taught me when I was, when I was young that a parable is, a, is an earthly story with a heavenly meaning. How many have heard that definition? All right, three of you, good. Uh, went to the same school, maybe? Uh, <laughs> but it's a story from earthly perspective to teach you about a heavenly truth. Well, there's some of these stories, parables, that you could kind of, kind of call they're earthly stories with new earthly meanings. Because when Jesus comes, he'll renew the earth and things will be restored. He'll set up his kingdom on the earth and it will be a new earthly experience. But this story told from old earth realities will help you how to know how to prepare for new earth realities. Woodside often provides um, devotionals to, to people and you can subscribe and get them on a text comes about eight o'clock in the morning and and it gives you a passage of scripture to read let me ask this maybe there's more than three how many how many get those devotionals texted to you you've subscribed to that yes there's like three times that many like nine it's it's awesome so if if you'd like to subscribe you could um, you text the word Devo to something, I don't know, 248, something or other. Um, it probably isn't the best time to subscribe because I think next Sunday is the last one for a few weeks, so we'll get that to you when we renew that. Anyway, where I was going was if you've been following those devotionals, you will ha would have read some of the stories leading up to this time. Many of those parables begin with this phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like, and then one of the stories is like a man who finds a treasure hidden in a field and he sells everything he has so he can buy the field and he gets the treasure. Or the kingdom of heaven is like a pearl of great value and he spends everything he has and then can acquire the, that great pearl. Speaking of just that importance of dedicating one's life to the kingdom of God so that you can experience the joy of it. 
in this passage, it begins to use the phrase, the kingdom of heaven will be like, and then tells these stories. The kingdom of heaven will be like. In other words, this is not simply about the kingdom. This is how to be ready for the coming kingdom. And that's been a question that some people have asked me from, from this series. Okay, we're talking about being ready. We know we need to be ready. But how do you be ready? What do you do? What, 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 what do we do? How do we live so that we are ready when he comes? If he's going to come like a thief in the night, you're not going to know exactly when he's going to come. How do you live a life so that you know and you're confident you're ready for his coming? That's the story that Jesus tells us today. So let's look and see what the word of God will show us. It will teach us that readiness involves faithfully serving the master. Readiness involves faithfully serving the master. Being ready for his return involves this diligence. Diligence in serving. Here we go. Matthew chapter 25, verse 14. If you're, if you're in your Bibles, find verse 14. And here's what the kingdom of heaven will be like. For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. And then he went away. Let's pause right there. The parable, the story is set up. There's a man, he has servants, he entrusts to them his property. So for sake of time, as Jesus is telling the story, it's pretty safe assumption that when he's describing the master, he's illustrating himself, the son of man. In this story, there was this master that's representing Jesus who called his servants, most likely it's representing people that he's talking to and that are reading the story, and he entrusts to them his property. So the resources that, that Jesus will entrust to people. And to one he gave five talents, another two, another one, each according to his ability. So then there's these talents. When we use the word talents today, we typically refer to your abilities or your skills, right? Well, when Jesus was telling this story, a talent was a unit of currency. In the Roman Empire, the talent was the largest bill, right? Not, not, not bill, but, you know, the piece of currency, right? The, the most powerful coin. And there was, um, there's, there's, there's kind of somewhat historical debate on like how much this coin was worth, what this talent was worth. At the, as, I, as I looked at this, the lowest value by one historian suggested that a talent was worth 20 years of wages at minimum wage in today's language. All right, so you math students, here you go. Tessa, here we go. All right, $10 an hour, let's call it that. $10 an hour, eight hours a day, six days a week, 312 days a year, 20 years. Yes, you're right, Tessa, 500,000. Yes, 
So some suggest that a talent was worth $500,000. There's one historian I saw that suggests it's worth $2 million. So for the sake of ease, let's just say a talent was worth about a million dollars. So the master's going on a journey. He goes, calls three of his servants to him, he, to him, and he says, Now, you, sir, I'm going to give you $5 million. You, ma'am, I'm going to give you $2 million. And you, sir, I'm going to give you a million dollars. And I'll come back and receive the yield from your investments. And then he went away. Now, you hear the story and you think, that poor guy only gets a million dollars. Until you say it out loud. Like, oh, <laughs> okay, a million dollars. Probably that guy, right, he, he receives that and thinks, oh, this is amazing. What a responsibility. This is, this is great. Calls his wife and says, hey, you're not going to believe this. Look at this opportunity you have. This is great. Hangs up the phone, says to his, his, his guy in the next cubicle, you're not going to believe this. The master just gave me a million dollars. And the guy says, isn't that incredible? He just gave me two. Two? I only got a million. The guy with two says, I got two. Hey, bud, I got two, man, twice as much. You got five? I only got two million. This isn't the main point of the point of the story. However, here's a couple of things that we need to file away. Beware of comparing yourself with one another. Beware. Because anything you truly have is from the king. All right, think, think of what you possess, whether it is a vehicle or whether it's a bank account, whether it's the beautiful clothes you have on, uh, whether it's your children or your spouse that God has given to you. Whatever you have, realize that every good gift has come from above. Everything you have has come from him. He's richly resourced every single one of us. And as the Bible says, like with spiritual gifts, 1 Corinthians 12, 11 says, the spirit distributes them as he wills. It's God's determination of what you've been resourced with. Right? It's not, it's not us. So we, we can't compare ourselves. We can't bemoan, I only have this little bit, because God's the one that decides. He's the, he's the one that gives. We've been given these things to accomplish our specific purpose in this age as we wait for his return. Also with this, be careful of viewing your resources from eyes of scarcity instead of the eyes of abundance. Because the only time you begin, truly, you begin to look at how little you have is when you look at how much someone else has. But when you focus on simply what God has granted to you, you will experience a spirit of gratitude. But a spirit of comparison is a joy stealer. It's an assassination of hope when you start looking across the fence to see what somebody else has. When you start looking across the chair or across the cubicle or whatever, that's when hope leaves you when you start to compare. So be careful.
Be careful. The reality is every single believer in Jesus has been gifted with resources for you to serve in his kingdom. Every single one. Whether you're 12 years old or 80 years old or anybody in between. Raise your hand if you're in between 12 and 80. Okay? That means you have been resourced by the king to serve in his kingdom. That's, that's part of the point of Jesus' story. I've resourced everybody to work in my kingdom. Time, abilities, passions. So first of all, we can learn from this story that we need to respond rightly to what God has entrusted to us. We need to respond rightly with gratitude. We need to reject comparisons and embrace what God has granted to us. Okay. Sorry, let's keep reading in the story. Verse 16, Matthew 25, verse 16. So he went away, and he who had received the five talents went away or went at once and traded with them and he made five talents more so also he who had been given the two talents two million dollars made two million more but he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money so two of these servants receive this gift this master leaves and they say okay i've been given a job i have these resources they're his and i need I need to invest them. I don't know how long he's going to tarry. It might be a week. It might be a month. It might be a year. It might be a decade. I don't know when he's going to return, but I want to be ready when he comes back, so I'm going to put this to work. It doesn't say how they invested it. It doesn't say whether it was the stock market or whether they did real estate or what they did. It just shows that they invested these millions of dollars into something so that there would be something when the master returns. The third simply takes that million dollars, that talent, doesn't embrace this responsibility of investment, and so instead he, he hides the talent in his tent so that nobody would take it, so that he could give it back. The second aspect of this story helps us know that He's given us a responsibility to invest his resources in his kingdom. Jesus says, if you want to be ready for when I return, then recognize what I've gifted to you and then invest them into my kingdom. As we said, every believer is entrusted. Everybody raise their hand unless you didn't want to. You fit it probably into that category between 12 and 80. And if you're over 80, hey, I'm, I'm just, I'm not saying you don't have a gift. If you're over 80 or below 12, I'm just saying as I look at the crowd, I, I would say there's, we're probably 12 to about that. Okay, so we're all entrusted. But get this, Romans 12, 6 says, having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Say that with me. Let us use them. One more time. Let us use them. That's the scripture says to us. Since you've been given all these things by the king, so use them. It only, it only makes sense if you have these things to use them in the ambition of the king who granted them to you. Now remember, this isn't to earn a place in the kingdom. That's not what you, this is a different type of story. 
right? He's, he, he told the story that, if, that you might have a treasure in the field, but if you're not going to buy that field, then it's not yours, right? In other words, if, if you're not going to believe in Jesus, then you won't experience the kingdom of Jesus. This is a story that assumes that you've believed in Jesus. So if you've believed in Jesus then living a life of readiness means that you're serving Jesus in this, in this life. We experience forgiveness of sins, like you sang. We experience forgiveness of sins when we recognize that Jesus gave his life on the cross to pay for them. When we realize that, that God in his grace and mercy is offering us forgiveness, if we place our faith and trust in who Jesus is. That's when forgiveness comes. So I, I, I guess we need to make sure that's clear. And that, that question is posed to each one of us. Has there been a time when you have said to God, I believe. I believe in your son and I receive the gift of salvation that you give to me. Has there been a time where Jesus used the term being born again. Has there been a time when you've experienced new life because of your faith in Jesus? You can't earn it. Serving in his kingdom doesn't get you the kingdom. Serving in in the kingdom is because you are in his kingdom. Which poses the question, okay, well, what is this kingdom? If I have placed my faith in Jesus... If he has resourced me, and I'm to use these resources in his kingdom, what in the world is his kingdom? Well, ultimately, the kingdom is experienced by someone when, again, as as they place their faith and trust in him. But how can they know about that unless they be told? Right, so part of working in the kingdom is spreading this incredible news that God extends forgiveness to all people that would believe in him. So let the world know. That's part of that. But the kingdom, the idea of the kingdom of Jesus continues when we think of the the work of salvation, that it unites us with God. It brings peace between a perfect God and a a sinful people. It, It unites us together. But then begins to flesh out by bringing harmony to other aspects of brokenness. So part of working in his kingdom is helping people experience harmony with one another. Part of working in his kingdom is helping one another and living in harmony even in the world that God has created. Part of experiencing his kingdom is is living in peace even with ourselves. Now you can't separate the thought of primarily and first has to be a reunion with God, a union with God. But then as as he brings us into his family, he wants to bring peace to all of life. So working as the kingdom is investing into the message of Jesus and the work of Jesus by bringing peace in our world. This is what he calls us to serve. I don't know, is Joe, is Joe Doan here today? He's out there serving? Yep, okay. Let's talk about him. I love it. Joe Doan is the fire chief in Algonac. Let me tell you a pretend story. This is not true. Got it? Let's say 
that the city of Algonac, the city fathers, received the stimulus money and said, what should we do? We need a new fire truck. Let's get a fire truck. So they go out and they research. They find the most high-tech, the greatest uh, fire truck that would be perfectly suited for a community like ours. And they, they, they bring that in. They park it in the firehouse. They say to Chief Doan, this has been provided for the safety and security and protection of our community. And being the good steward that he is, he gathers his firefighters around him and said, you guys keep this thing clean. You take care of this because this is one of the best tools we've ever received. So they do. And then the call comes in. There's a raging fire down the street here in the city of Algonac. So the firefighters, like they're trained to do, they rush to their equipment. And some of the guys hop on the new one and Chief Joe steps out and says, No, not this one. This is brand new. Are you kidding me? We're keeping this thing safe. This is here. We want to be known as a community that has the shiniest, most effective fire truck in the greater St. Clair County area. Okay, and so they run to the old trucks and they get on the old trucks and they go fight that fire. City council meets the next, next week. Asks for a report from the fire chief. He says, that thing is the shiniest, most effective tool we have in the county. Council member says, I didn't see it out there at the, the big fire we had. Well, because I want to put it at risk. I want to keep preserve that. I want to keep that safe. It looks good in the fire hall. Preposterous. But I wonder how many followers of Jesus have such experience in the firehouse of their life where God looks at the American Christian and says, do you know what I've granted to you? Would you compare your net worth to the net worth of four-fifths of the world? Would you, would you compare the freedoms you have to four-fifths of the world? The facilities I've entrusted to you, the, 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 the families and the opportunities and the resources, all these things that you would say, wow, aren't we blessed and I wonder how our lives could possibly be measured or explained kind of like a fire chief that won't let his tools be used to fight fires. Why has Jesus blessed us? To be a blessing in his kingdom. Not simply to be hoarded and protected and hid under the tent, under the rug in our tent but instead to be invested in the ambitions of the king. What's it mean to be ready? It means I invest in the kingdom of God. It, it, that means what I have been given by the master is used for the master's intent. Let's keep reading. Let's finish the story. Matthew 25, verse 19 says, Now, after a long time, I don't know, a long time, 30 days, six months, a year, a decade, I don't know. It was a long time. The master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you've delivered to me five talents. Here, I have made five talents more. 
His master said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also, who had the two talents, came forward saying, Master, you've delivered to me two talents. Here, I've made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over a little. I'll set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow, gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. What a contrast. Two guys invest and multiply. One guy hid it and has nothing to show for it. And what was the difference? Well, as Jesus tells this story, there is one thing that's unique, what this third guy says. And that is the description of how he viewed the master. He says, I viewed you as hard. Probably not a good thing, good way to start an accounting with your, with your boss. You know, I just view you as very stingy and very hard-hearted. And really, you don't work very hard. Basically, what the guy says You're a hard man. You don't work in the garden, but you expect a harvest. So I just kept this, and now you can have it back. Another life lesson. What you believe about God will be demonstrated by how you live. It's true. What you believe about God will be demonstrated by how you live. If you view God as stingy and careless, then when you look at your resources, you'll probably want to hoard them too because you can't risk it. Because if you risk it, you might not have any benefit as an outcome. Whereas if you view him as generous and rewarding, Then you will take those resources he's entrusted to you and you will invest them in his ambitions completely confident that he will reward those that serve him. Verse 26. His master said, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and I gather where I've scattered no seed then you should have invested my money with the bankers, at the very least. And at thy coming, I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him, give it to him who has the ten talents, to everyone who has will more be given, he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. Cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place, there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So instead of this commendation, By the master that the other two received, the third servant is stripped of his responsibility and not allowed to experience the joy and reward. It's a poignant story, isn't it? It's like so clear. Maybe some of you are thinking, it was so clear. Why did you take so long to explain it? The message is so in our face that he rewards those that serve him 
And there's no rewards for those that don't. We need to remember the king is returning. And like the previous story, I know he's taking a long time in coming. Even though he told his disciples, I'm coming soon. What does soon mean? Well, it's been 2,000 years. So maybe we're in that place where you think, so maybe that's not true. Or maybe the delay is demonstrating an authentic disciple. Are you ready? How do you get ready? You serve the king. That's how you know you'll be ready when he comes, that you're using your resources for the king. It could be small steps. It could, there was a handful of people here earlier this morning getting this place ready for you. There's some this week that mopped the floor. There was people there greeting, welcoming you so that you would know that we're so glad you're here. Small things, serving the king. Bill had mentioned that so many have been generous in order for us to acquire this. This is just a handful of people saying, you know, some of the things that God has given to me, I want to invest into his kingdom to provide a place of worship. And so because of faithful giving, we've been able to have this place and we anticipate some renovations. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be great. But it's because people have invested some of what God has provided for them. But it's not just, it's not just here. It's not just Sunday. Right? I think of, of Paul and, and Sarah and Oak Bluff. It's, it's, a, it's a ministry based on what God has entrusted into Paul's life when he started working in a transmission shop decades ago in the years of experience and his love for vehicles. And he's realized, this isn't just for me. It's not just, just an income. So he starts this nonprofit so that any families who can't afford to fix their car can give Oak Bluff a call. And Paul says, bring it over. And suddenly they've got brakes. Suddenly the oil is not pouring down onto the, onto the pavement. Why? Because somebody's investing their treasure into the ambition of the king. It was about a year, two years ago this time that there was a handful of you that went to Thailand not because you have family in Thailand, but then you realize, oh, I, I do. I have a spiritual family in Thailand that I want to serve alongside of. And so there's dentists and there is nurses and doctors and then other people that will hold a flashlight, right, that went into these places and, and provided bridges of love that could carry the weight of the gospel to unreached peoples. They had time. Some of them had extraordinary talent and some just had availability and they went to invest in the kingdom of God. There's some of you that when you live in your neighborhood, you have the mindset that says, okay, God, you placed me here for a purpose. Who in my neighborhood needs encouragement? I want to be, I want to be used by you today. Some of you wake up in the morning. You ask yourselves the question, God, what do you have for me today? Because you realize if God's given you one more day, he has something for you to do in his kingdom. So what's it mean to serve according to the king's ambition? I can't wait to hear. Because every one of you is uniquely gifted with talents and experiences and resources. 
some to help meet your needs, because that's part of the kingdom of God, providing for your family. But part of the purpose is to be his hands and feet in a broken, troubled world. It's kind of like that, that song that's playing these days, that song that says, God, I, I look and I see the world in such trouble, and I ask you, God, why don't you do something about this? And, and God said, I did. I, I created you, and I'm investing in you so that my troubled world can be sustained. People can experience joy and provision until I return and make everything right. So until then, serve my ambition. It's a cool thing that God's come up with. That we can be part of his kingdom. So that's the question for each one of us. Are we ready? How do you get ready? Now you don't go on a hill and peer out waiting for the lightning to flash. That's not what we do. No, we wake up every day and say, God, what do you have for me today? We look at our resources and say, God, how can this be used for more than just meeting my needs? How can this be used to work in your kingdom? How can I serve you? Let's pray. Father, uh, thank you for the gracious invitation to be a part of the incredible work of serving in our world. Lord, I'm so thankful that you are the generous one, that you've modeled for us what it means to serve the Father as you came to this world, the way you healed, the way you provided food for the hungry, the way you, you demonstrated forgiveness to the guilty, the way that you ultimately laid your life down on the cross so that our sins can be paid for. Thank you for modeling servanthood. And now we ask, Lord, that you would implant in us an understanding of how we can be used. How can this place, Lord, be a, a household of servants? How can we serve one another? How can we pose that question? How can we outdo one another in serving you? Not in competition, but in encouraging one another, stimulating one another to love and to good works. I thank you, Lord, for speaking to us today. We pray your blessing on us as we, as we ponder this and think of the personal implications to our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand. Let's sing together of the powerful work that God is doing in our lives and through our lives today. The transformation that God does is absolutely incredible. Let's sing. Thank you for joining us as we study God's word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org slash connect to introduce yourself to us today.